I'm Nathan Rutherford, and welcome to Myth Madness. Last episode, I covered Cadmus, the legendary founder of the city-state of Thebes in Greek mythology. I discussed how Cadmus started off as a foreigner, living in Phoenicia, but how he traveled to Greece after his sister was kidnapped. The Oracle of Delphi told him to found the city of Thebes, and he did, after killing a serpent dragon and growing some men from its teeth. Cadmus married Harmonia, an immortal daughter of the gods Ares and Aphrodite, but unfortunately, their family was cursed, and their children went through a series of tragedies, most of which were due to offending the gods. Cadmus and Harmonia eventually left Thebes and went into the far north of Greece, where they were transformed into snakes. This episode will pick up where Cadmus and his immediate children left off. The Theban myths are interesting, as they cover multiple generations of Theban kings, and you get the impression of Thebes turning into a metropolis over time. Because the city really was a powerful kingdom in ancient Greece. Thebes was located in the Boeotia region of central Greece. The area is a vast plain that stretches from mountains in the south to a lake in the north. Thebes was likely one of the first communities in ancient Greece to be built around a central fortress, and it was a major city in the Mycenaean period. Its ruins date back to approximately 1400 BC. The Mycenaean period is named after the Greek city-state of Mycenae. It is generally assumed that Mycenae was the most powerful of the Mycenaean Greek city-states. But Thebes is another very credible candidate for that as well. And sure enough, a name very similar to Thebes even appears on an ancient Egyptian statue alongside other powerful Greek kingdoms. Thebes in the north, Mycenae in the south, and Gnosis in Crete. The real-world importance of Thebes seeps into the mythical depictions of the city, too. A number of Greek myths take place in Thebes, and many different Greek heroes were from there. Thebes was the setting of a whole series of epic poems from the Archaic period, around the time of Homer and Hesiod. Unfortunately, these poems only survive to us today in a series of fragmentary quotes. But these Theban epics were widely celebrated in ancient Greece, and probably came a close second to Homer's stories of the Trojan War in popularity. I've placed the myths in those epics towards the end of my chronology for the Age of Heroes, so we will come back to them again later on this season. For today, for information on who were the kings of Thebes immediately after Cadmus, we have to look mostly at the later Greek and Roman sources. Most of this information comes from Hyginus, Apollodorus, Pausanias, and Nonus. I spoke a little bit about Hyginus and Apollodorus last episode. They both provided the overviews of a large selection of Greek myths. Apollodorus's library, probably written in the 2nd century AD, is one of the most comprehensive collections we have today for a number of Greek myths. And the copies we have aren't even complete. We know he also wrote about the Trojan War stories, but that section is lost to history. Pausanias lived around 110 to 180 AD. Not much is known about his life. He lived within the Roman Empire and was a Greek living in the Roman province of Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. He was essentially a travel writer and is most famous for his book Description of Greece. He traveled throughout Greece in the later decades of his life and visited a number of sites. 
he described ancient Greece in a simple, straightforward way, but he often went on tangents to describe specific myths related to the places he was visiting, rituals that were performed there, or other interesting bits of cultural trivia. It's unclear if he ever finished the description of Greece. Nonus wrote the 20,000-line Dionysica at the very end of the Roman Empire, sometime in the 4th or 5th century AD. Not much is known about Nonus. He may have been an early convert to Christianity. His poem was clearly inspired by the older poets like Homer, and he reimagines a lot of the Greek myths. The poem is focused on the life of the god Dionysus, and since the god was born in Thebes and returns to the city later, it naturally involves a lot of mythic material about Thebes. Historically, people didn't really pay much attention to Nonus's Dionysica, probably because it's so damn long, at 20,000 lines. But in recent years, scholars have found more appreciation for it. It does contain a few very weird and possibly corrupted versions of some Greek stories. Anyways, between the four of them, Hyginus, Apollodorus, Pausanias, and Nonus, together they give a decent overview of a handful of the legendary Theban kings after Cadmus. This episode will cover these kings, and what they did to continue the founding of Thebes that Cadmus and Harmonia started. These myths cover a couple generations of the Theban royal family, so there's going to be a lot of names. To try and make things less confusing, I've made a family tree which you can find on the post for this episode on the podcast website, www.mythmadness.com. So here goes. As I talked about last episode, Cadmus and Harmonia's children were Eno, Semele, Agave, and Autonoe, and Polydorus. Polydorus was the only son, and so in line to be the next king of Thebes after Cadmus. But when Cadmus left Thebes, or retired and gave up his throne, or died, it depends on the version really, Polydorus was still a young boy, and unable to properly lead the city. Instead, Polydorus's older cousin, Pentheus, who was the son of Cadmus's daughter Agave, ruled Thebes as a regent, until Polydorus grew older. Sometimes, Cadmus is still alive for the beginning of Pentheus's kingship. Sometimes he isn't. Euripides's play The Bacchae has Pentheus be the king of Thebes when Dionysus returned to the city. It did not go well, and Pentheus was killed. After Pentheus died, Polydorus was now old enough to be king of Thebes by himself. The poet Nonus says that Pentheus was not just keeping the throne warm for his younger uncle. According to Nonus, Pentheus took over Thebes after Cadmus died and exiled Polydorus, trying to become the full-fledged king of Thebes himself. This actually makes a lot of sense, since Polydorus became king only after Pentheus died. If he had already been old enough to rule, why hadn't Pentheus stepped aside already? Regardless, Polydorus became king of Thebes. The young man was not a boy anymore, and he married a woman named Nycteus. Polydorus and Nycteus had a son named Labdacus, and then shortly after, Polydorus died. With Labdacus a newborn baby, Thebes needed a new king, a new regent to hold the throne. That job fell to Polydorus's widowed wife's father. Nycteus's father was the closely named Nycteus. Apollodorus's library gives two conflicting versions for the birth of Nycteus and his brother Lycus. In one, the brothers are two of the Spartoi, 
those sown men that Cadmus grew from dragon teeth. In the other version, they are grandsons of Poseidon. Backing up the second version, Apollodorus gives details on how the brothers came to Thebes, saying that they were from the nearby island of Eboea originally, and came to Thebes after murdering the island's king. Personally, I think the version where Nycteus was a Spartoi makes more sense with the fact that he became king of Thebes. Why would the Thebans make a foreign murderer king, even if he was related to the royal family? Nevertheless, Nycteus was the regent for Polydorus's son, Labdacus. Nycteus's daughter, Nycteus, was the widow of the old king. But it's going to be Nycteus's other daughter, Antiope, who is now going to take center stage and drive what happens to the next few kings of Thebes. The drama surrounding the life of Antiope was the subject of a play by Euripides written around 410 BC. Unfortunately, that play is lost, but there are existing references to it by other poets. Antiope was a beautiful princess, and like so many beautiful princesses, she got the attention of Zeus. Homer actually describes this as a good thing, that it was her pride to have slept in the arms of Zeus. The much later poet Nonus says that Zeus took on the shape of a satyr and seduced Antiope while in this disguise. As it happens, the Zeus as a satyr seduction is also found on 4th century BC Greek vases, which is around 400 years after Homer, but almost 800 years before Nonus. Either way, Antiope became pregnant, and this created problems. It's here that we also get some inconsistencies in Antiope's story. In the Apollodorus version, the pregnant Antiope was threatened by her father Nycteus, due to the dishonor she brought on the family through her unmarried pregnancy. She ran away from Thebes and fled to another city-state of ancient Greece called Sicyon. Once at Sicyon, she joined the court of its king, Epopius, and married him. Meanwhile, her father, Nycteus, in despair or shame about what happened to his daughter, killed himself. His brother, Lycus, became the king of Thebes. Another later period source, Pausanias, gives a juicier account. He says that the king of Sicyon, Epopius, actually kidnapped Antiope. Then, instead of killing himself, Nycteus tried to win Antiope back, declared war on Sicyon, fought some battles against Epopius, but is killed on the field of combat. Hyginus himself records two versions. In one, he agrees with Apollodorus, saying that Zeus got Antiope pregnant, her father threatened her, and she fled. In his other version, he says Antiope was tricked and violated by Epopius, cast out from Thebes, and then impregnated by Zeus. Regardless of the situation provided in the different versions, Zeus gets Antiope pregnant. Antiope leaves Thebes in some way and ends up in Sicyon. Her father, Nycteus, dies, and his brother, Lycus, becomes king of Thebes. Now it is Lycus's turn to fight a war with Sicyon. This time, unlike his brother, Lycus is successful. Epopius is killed, and Lycus takes Antiope back to Thebes as a captive. Never mind the fact that she is his niece, the daughter of his dead brother, and a former member of the royal family. For Lycus, Antiope is a war captive, a woman prisoner to be taken back to Thebes and used as a servant in his palace. 
On her way back to Thebes, Antiope is at the end of her pregnancy, and now gives birth to twin boys. But she is unable to keep the boys, and the babies are left to die in a cave on the slopes of Mount Catherion, abandoned to the wind and wild beasts. We can guess, based on the circumstances, that it was Lycus who ordered the babies to be left behind, and this makes sense for a couple disturbing reasons. If Lycus intends Antiope to be a servant in his household, basically little more than a slave, he cannot have her children accompany her. She can't be a slave to Lycus if she has two baby boys to look after. The second reason is this. Even though Antiope is to be treated like a simple war captive, she still remains linked to the Theban royal family. This means that her male children are potential rivals for the throne. Lycus can't have that, so off to the mountains they go. But wait, you may ask, wasn't Lycus only the regent of Thebes, holding the throne for Labdacus, the young son of Polydorus? And yes, you're right. But here's the thing, Apollodorus says that Labdacus died young, with only a one-year-old son named Laius. Labdacus made an old mistake and insulted the god Dionysus. Like with Pentheus a generation before, Labdacus was torn apart by the Maenads, the crazed female worshippers of Dionysus. After his death, Lycus took over the throne and went from simply being a regent to a full-fledged king. Of course, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of timing. When was Labdacus even on the throne? After Nycteus died, while Antiope was in Sicyon, Apollodorus is not clear. He says Lycus took over Thebes after Labdacus died, but he also implies that Lycus became king after Nycteus died. Maybe Lycus became king twice, with him being only a regent the first time. It's not clear. But the key takeaway here is this. Lycus is now king of Thebes, and not just a regent, and he has taken steps to ensure he is truly the king of Thebes. Returning to the story, Lycus victoriously returns to Thebes. Antiope enters his household as a servant, and Apollodorus says that she is kept bound in the palace, and that Lycus and his wife, Derke, treat her terribly. Hyginus adds some more interesting, yet again disturbing details about why Antiope is brought to Thebes and treated as a slave. He says that not only was Antiope the niece of Lycus, she was also his first wife, and when Antiope got pregnant from Zeus, her husband Lycus kicked her out for the affair. Now back in Thebes, Lycus wanted Antiope punished. His new wife, Derke, however, had a different reason. She believed Lycus was secretly sleeping with his enslaved former wife, so she ordered her servants to keep the woman bound in chains and kept in darkness. So Antiope either begins a Cinderella-like existence, acting as a slave in the house, or is imprisoned. This continued for many years, but one day, the chains just became loose by themselves. How did they do this? I like to think that Zeus her old lover, decided to set Antiope free, and this is backed up by the Hyginus version of the myth. Now unbound, she escaped Lycus and Jerky and fled once again from the city of Thebes. Let's rewind for a moment. After Antiope gave birth to her twin boys, the babies were left exposed on the hillsides surrounding Mount Catherion. But, as you might expect, 
like with a lot of heroes' beginnings, the boys did not die. Instead, before it was too late, they were rescued by a local shepherd. He removed them from the cave and washed them in a nearby spring. The shepherd raised the babies as his own children and called the two boys Amphion and Zethus. The two of them became great hero twins, but were very different individuals. Zethus was physically strong and active. He takes up cattle breeding. Amphion is the more clever brother. He is a musician. In his youth, Amphion made an altar to Hermes and so received a lyre from the god in return. Surviving fragments from Euripides' play Antiope give some of the earliest known details on them. The later sources were probably influenced by this play. The play involved an argument scene that clearly shows the differences between the two brothers. Zethus comes upon his brother Amphion and questions him over his pursuit of music. Zethus is not a fan. He thinks Amphion is weak, should apply himself, and, and take up something physical, like herding. Amphion says that whoever is very active when he may be inactive is a moron. The two brothers argue over what lifestyle is best for their community. Back to Antiope. After escaping from Thebes for the second time, she heads to Mount Catharion, the same place she left her children so many years before. Cadenus describes how she came across her sons there, but they did not recognize her, specifically that Zethus did not recognize her. At the same time, Antiope was being followed. Derke, possibly with help from Dionysus, she was an avid worshipper of his, also found her way to Mount Catharion. Antiope was captured by a frenzied Derke, and the Queen of Thebes attempted to murder Antiope by tying her to a raging bull. But at that point, the shepherd, who found Amphion and Zethus so many years before, reveals the truth. He recognizes Antiope, and tells Amphion and Zethus that she is their mother. So the twins put Derke to death instead, by tying her by the hair to the same bull she had planned using to kill Antiope. The bull tears her apart, and afterwards Derke's body was either dumped into a spring, or a spring formed from where her body lay broken on the ground. So Antiope is saved thanks to her sons Amphion and Zethus. Thanks to the shepherd, the twins now know who their mother is too. So, you would think we now get a nice, heartwarming reunion between the three, right? Maybe now Antiope doesn't have to completely move around from city to city. Maybe now she'll finally have a home. Unfortunately, the Greek writer Pausanias suggests that that might not be the case. He says that since Derke worshipped Dionysus more than any other god, when she had died at the hands of the sons of Antiope, Dionysus became angry with Antiope. And apparently, Dionysus drove her insane, and out of her wits, she roamed all over Greece. Eventually, Antiope met a man named Phocus. She was finally cured by Phocus, and he married her. Hopefully, Antiope finally found her happy ending. Back in Thebes, things are about to go badly for Lycus, who is still the king of Thebes. After Amphion and Zethus found out who their mother was, learned of their connections to the Theban royal family, they decided it was time to go to Thebes and take the city for themselves. The different sources have different accounts for what followed. Pausanias says that Amphion and Zethus assembled an army and led it to Thebes. The sons of Antiope defeated Lycus in the following battle, and they became dual kings of a conquered Thebes.
A fragment from Euripides' classical period play indicates that the twins' takeover of Thebes was done with less violence, after the god Hermes intervened. Hermes commanded Lycus, saying, It is necessary that you listen to them and willingly give them sovereignty over the land of Cadmus. Afterwards, Lycus agreed and told them, Go, rule this land in place of me, having taken the scepter of Cadmus. And so Amphion and Zethus became king of Thebes, and presumably Lycus went into exile. The poet Hegenus, writing much later than Euripides, and roughly around the same time of Pausanias, agrees with Euripides' version, saying the twins were going to kill Lycus before Hermes forbade them to, and then ordered Lycus to give them the crown. With Thebes now under their command, what did the twins do? Last episode, I talked about Cadmus and how he built the Cadmia, the citadel located atop the Acropolis of Thebes, how he created the aristocratic families that ran Thebes by sowing serpent teeth in the ground, and was generally considered the founder of the city-state. But Amphion and Zethus were also considered important founding kings of Thebes. Throughout ancient Greek history, the city was often referred to as seven-gated Thebes, on account of the city having magnificent walls and entry only being allowed through seven large and well-fortified gates. According to Theban myth, Amphion and Zethus were the builders of the city walls and these seven gates. And this was a long-standing myth tradition. Homer says the twins added walls and the seven gates to Thebes because without them, they could not hold it as their dwelling. An early Hellenistic source describes how Zethus attempted to lift a mountain peak and use that to build the walls. He was not strong enough and found the work too hard. Meanwhile, Amphion played on his golden lyre while singing a song. The beauty of the music caused tall boulders to follow and roll after him, and that these stones stacked themselves up and made the walls of Thebes by themselves. In this way, Amphion is very similar to German folk tales about the Pied Piper. But instead of leading rats and children with music, Amphion leads inanimate rocks. After becoming the ruler of Thebes, all sources agree that Amphion married a woman named Niobe. They had numerous children together. The specific number changes depending on the source. Homer says six sons and six daughters. Hesiod says ten of each, and Apollodorus says seven of each. Whatever the number, though, the mother, Niobe, boasted that the amount of children proved she was a better mother than the goddess Leto, the mother of Artemis and Apollo, who only had two. That kind of hubris from Niobe is obviously going to offend the notoriously easy-to-offend Greek gods. Apollo and Artemis kill all of Amphion and Niobe's children, either with real arrows or magical arrows that cause plague. Hegina says this made Amphion go insane. Ovid has Amphion kill himself in grief. A little differently, Apollodorus says Amphion was killed by his surviving children, who were not his children with Niobe. But an early death wasn't the end of his consequences. Pausanias mentions that Amphion was punished in the underworld for mocking Leto. All in all, a grisly end for Amphion. Like his twin brother, a similar fate also falls on Zethus. In most cases, the wife of Zethus is a nymph named Thebe. But our oldest source, Homer, provides a different take. He says Zethus was married to a woman named Adon, and Homer also gives a sad take on their married life. Zethus and Adon had a son named Italus. Unfortunately, Adon accidentally killed their son at some point. A reason is not given. 
Afterwards, Zethus died of sadness or killed himself. With those sad ends, the throne of Thebes once again became empty. But while Nycteus, Lycus, Amphion, and Zethus were all members of the royal family, they were not direct descendants of Cadmus. The true heir to the throne was Laius, the son of Labdacus, and at this point he is still alive. According to Pausanias, before Lycus was defeated by the coming army of Amphion and Zethus, anxious aristocrats, worried about the boy's safety, snuck Laius out of Thebes. But in other versions, the heir to the throne was simply expelled by Amphion and Zethus after they took over. He went into exile, and after the death of the twins, with the throne vacant, Laius was invited back to ascend the throne himself. What happened next in Thebes will be the focus of later episodes. Next episode, I will pick up with more legendary Greek founder kings and heroes from the earlier generations, so stay tuned. If you're enjoying this podcast, please send it to a friend who would enjoy it too. You can listen to the pod on several podcast streaming platforms. There is also a podcast Instagram page, myth.madness. Please check it out. As always, thank you for listening.